<laughs> yeah, you don't have to say. How about this one? <clears throat> happy Juneteenth. Yeah, okay. Everybody can say Happy Juneteenth back to each other. Um, I have to confess I'm not in that habit yet. But I am very glad that our nation finally has a holiday celebrating enslaved people gaining their freedom. Amen? Yes, that's a great thing. So to all the fathers, happy Father's Day. And to all of us, happy Juneteenth. Grace of God. All right. So, my throat's not doing so well today. Well, I might have to take more sips of water. Just bear with me. But um, just a quick recap for anyone who wasn't here last week. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Pentecost Sunday, and we drew parallels to us today and how on Pentecost it was this group of believers who their founding leader Jesus Christ had just retired. He had gone back to heaven. And their instructions were to wait and pray. And so as a church, as your founding pastor has retired and you're waiting for the next senior pastor the Lord will bring, your instruction is to wait and pray. And in all humility, we admitted that while the early church met daily to meet together constantly in prayer, we're, we're probably not there yet. Um, But we adopted this simple prayer. Lord, give us the desire to pray and teach us to pray. And I hope you are still praying that prayer. And to increase our desire and to learn how to pray, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer. Because that's what Jesus taught his disciples when they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And um, the first line of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. And we talked about how Jesus started the Lord's Prayer very intentionally with helping us have a deeper understanding and more intimate knowledge of the God we are praying to. Because people you don't know well, you don't really want to spend a lot of time talking to. They're not the ones that you get the urge to call on the phone or to text or something like that. It's the people that you know closely. And so Jesus is trying to help us know closely the God we are praying to. And we looked last week at hallowed be your name, holy is your name. And I hope for those of you that were here, whenever you pray that line and you think of God's holiness, you have a picture in your head of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the love that they are. And how your God is a God of love. Today we're going to focus on the first line, our Father in heaven. Before we do that, I thought we would once again just stand and pray the prayer together, all right? Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Our Father in heaven. Those are loaded terms. Loaded because it causes us to associate God with our earthly father. And if you had a great relationship with your dad and were close to your dad, you probably love thinking about God as your heavenly father. But if you had a difficult or painful relationship with your dad, or maybe you didn't have a relationship because he was an absent dad, thinking about God as your heavenly father can be more challenging. I was once in a group of ministerial students who were debating whether or not, as pastors, we should refer to God as our Heavenly Father. And some were saying, no, we should just not use that language because it puts up barriers for people who've had abusive fathers. It makes God hard to relate to. The thing is, God instructs us to call Him our heavenly father that's what he asked to be called so the solution isn't to stop calling god our heavenly father the solution is to redeem the word father and to introduce people and get to their heavenly father to give them hope and healing by introducing them to the father who will never leave them or forsake them who knows the plans he has for them, plans to prosper them and not to harm them, plans to give them hope in a future. The truth is, no human is perfect, right? So no dad on earth can measure up and fully image our Heavenly Father. Only in our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so, I want to challenge you today. Instead of viewing God to be like your earthly father, view God as he describes himself in Scripture. And for those of you who are dads, instead of basing your parenting on what your earthly father did, Base your parenting on how God parents us. It's so easy to look at our earthly parents for models and and say, you know, I like what my mom and dad did and this is what I'm going to do with my kids or I didn't like this about what my mom and dad did and so this is what I'm not going to do with my kids. And that's all fine and well. But I want to challenge you to first and foremost look to your heavenly father as the model of what your parenting or grandparenting should be. All right, but to do that, we actually have to spend some time studying and reflecting on how God parents us. Now, I can't, um, I can't cover everything the Bible says about how God parents us this morning. Now, we'd be here a long time. But I can show you how to do this. It's quite simple. Um, I, if I would start by just looking up verses that reference God as our Father. You can Google that. And you, there will be blogs and sites 
openbible.info is one of my favorite sites. If you have never checked that out, um, you can type in any topic and they will shoot up a whole list of verses and people vote on which verses are most helpful. So it continually um, improves. But that's openbible.info. But Google that and start reading just all the different verses about what it says that God is like as our Father. And then start looking at stories in the Bible and ask yourself, what is God doing as Father behind the scenes? How is He encouraging? How is He teaching? How is He disciplining? What is God, our Father, doing in this story? We're going to um, try that with one illustration that Jesus told, all right? One parable. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. This is just a few chapters after Jesus actually gives the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 1. And we're going to do lots of reading today. All right? Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that means the religious people, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. We're going to pause right there. What do these verses tell you about God our Father? What is he like? He's faithful. He seeks the lost. He rejoices. Yeah. Sometimes you don't, don't think about God being happy and having parties, but apparently he does. Anything else? All right. So, yes, he values each one individually, not just the whole group. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give up on the stray. Yeah. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on each one of us. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, 
Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Just going to pause right there for a moment. Usually you don't get your inheritance until when? Yeah, your parent passes. I know um, one family very well, five children. And two of them asked for their inheritance ahead of time. They've fallen on hard times and were like, I'm going to get the money anyways. Why don't you give it to me now? And so the parent did. Well, then the parent grew old and lived a long time with dementia. A long time. Ran out of money. Other three kids had to pay for their parents' elder care. You think that put some tension in that family? Yeah. When a sibling asks for their inheritance too early, it puts tension in a family. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. I wonder if that was his plan all along, or if he just felt shame and left. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We'll pause there again. What what does this say about God as our Father? He shows grace. I love that he didn't give a lecture, right? What else? He longs for our return. The father saw him a long way off. He was still looking. He was still hoping. And you can see just by the way he ran to him that he was longing to be reunited with his child. One of the things that hits me is that he, um, 
He lets us learn some lessons the hard way. You know, he didn't go and rescue his son. He let his son feel the full consequences of his foolishness. And he wanted his son back, and he was prepared to love and welcome his son, but his son, he waited until his son first came to his senses, right? Yeah. All right, let's keep reading. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to be glad and celebrate. Because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. What does this teach us about God our Father? He never gives up. He's patient. Yeah. He wants all his kids to love one another, huh? I think he loves his kids equally. You see that too, right? When I think about his relationship with the older brother, I think how while God always provides for us, he doesn't always lavish us with gifts, right? I mean, it's very clear the older brother was expected to work. He didn't get that young goat and that big party he had been hoping for. You know, there's preachers who will say, if you just obey God, he will give you what you ask for. It's called the prosperity doctrine. He'll make you wealthy. He'll give you good health. If you just obey God, then God will be faithful to you and answer your prayers. And that's not entirely true. The Bible says God will provide for our needs, not that he grants all of our wants. After all, you know, if if you give your kids everything they ask for, what happens? Yeah. (laughs) They get spoiled and they don't learn gratitude, right? Isn't it strange that we have to have things withheld for us? from us or we have to work for things in order to appreciate them yeah and i see in god this balance between extravagant grace and giving 
And yet also asking us to work for some things. I think about infants and um, how when they're born, we, we give them everything they ask for, right? We'd have no expectations of a behavior of an infant. We just give them what they need. But as our children grow, our expectations for them grow, right? I know in our house, um, every couple years, I remake the chore list and for our kids. And sometimes they're excited because they like learning new things. Sometimes they're not as excited. But they, they have good attitudes, I have to admit. My kids really do have good attitudes. And, um, and as we increase their chores, we increase their allowance because we want them to learn the value of working hard and managing money and those things. There's also some chores that we don't pay them for, though, that they just do because families love and serve one another. And then part of being a family is just chipping in. Because I want my kids not only to learn to work so they can earn what they want, I want them to learn to work so they can bless others, so they can give away, right? And I see the same pa- pattern in how God parents us. At first, he treats us like infants. He just lavishes grace on us. He gives us everything we need. No expectation. Salvation is a free gift of God. And this is how we see him treating the younger brother who comes back. And yet with the older brother, there's... He has expected him to do some work. He still provided all he needed. But there was an expectation of work. And I think this is because God doesn't want us to get stuck in a relationship with him where we are just obeying him for what we can get from him. You see, there really wasn't much difference between the heart of the younger son and the heart of the older son. The real tragedy of the story is that neither one of them loved the father. They both wanted his stuff. The younger son took the stuff and ran. The older son still wanted the stuff. He was just older. You know, he was a bit wiser. Maybe he had once been like the younger son. Or he had seen people live like the younger son. And he just knew you can't have the father's stuff without being near the father. And so he stayed and he obeyed the father. But look what he says in verse 29. This is what he says to his dad. Just imagine... Your kid's saying this to you. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Ouch. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be with his father. He just thought he was stuck there because that was the only way to get his father's blessings. He goes on, the next verse. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who have squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I think the older son was mad partly because the fattened calf was his inheritance. 
The younger son already received his inheritance. So whatever was left, that robe, those sandals, that ring, the fattened calf, whatever was left that the father would give to the younger son was coming out of whose inheritance? The older son. Yeah. And he especially did not want to share it with his foolish younger brother. You see, he had worked hard to gain that inheritance for himself. And he did not yet have the heart of the father, which is to work so we can give away, so we can bless. Contrast his heart with the heart of the old, with the father and what the father's son says. In the next verse, verse 31, he says, My son, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. The father wasn't focused on working hard so he can get stuff for himself. He wasn't focused on himself at all. He was focused on being with his kids and being as generous as he possibly could be with them. God doesn't want our relationship with him to be transactional. God, I've done these things so God, you, you should give me this. One of the clear signs that we have become like the older son in the story is when we think we've earned God's blessings. And when God doesn't do what we think he should do in our lives, we get angry with him. That's a litmus test. That we have a heart of the older son. And God, he wants us to mature beyond that. To the point where we have his heart. Where our joy doesn't come from the blessings we get from God. But our joy comes from how we can bless others because of God. Specifically, he wants us to find joy in welcoming people into his family. Our family. Look at what he says. Next verse, 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours, he flipped it. Did you notice that? The older son said, this son of yours. The father said, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Welcoming people into The family of God is what makes our Heavenly Father rejoice. And he hopes that is what makes us rejoice as well. But as an older son learned, there is no way to welcome people into the family of God without sacrifice. I've never heard of a church where people said, we don't want to grow. We don't want to help people get saved. I've never heard that from any church. Every church always says, we want to grow. We want to welcome people into the family of God. We want to welcome people into our church. And yet many churches aren't ready to make the sacrifice that requires. Because welcoming people who've made a mess of their lives is messy. It's messy. It requires sacrificing your comfort, 
sacrificing the fattened cow. It means doing things differently. It means working to expand God's kingdom, not so you can have a bigger inheritance, but so you can give that inheritance away. There is no way to reach people with the love of God without loving like God. And God's love has always been sacrificial. Always. And I've heard many of you talk about how you want to grow and you want to welcome more people, and I believe you sincerely do. But I hope you also know that we require sacrificing in ways you do not yet realize. I don't know all the ways you'll have to sacrifice. I don't know the future. But I do know it's a package deal. Welcoming people into the family of God has always required sacrifice ever since the Son of God left his comfort in heaven to come down into our mess and save us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a package deal. Welcoming people in God's family requires not only sacrifice from the father, but also his sons and daughters. I think it's fascinating that there are only three people in Jesus' story. It's like Jesus is saying you can either be like a younger son, an older son, or the father. If you're like the younger son, you've probably run away from God. Maybe because you just wanted to do your own thing and be in control of your own life. Maybe because you felt some shame that you just couldn't measure up. Your father loves you. And he wants you back. He's been waiting and longing for you and he does not judge and lecture when you come back. He just lavishes you with his love. If you're like the older son, you've been probably walking the straight and narrow for a while now. And you are wise enough to know that, you know, these good things I want in life, a happy marriage, a whole family, the way to get these things is to follow God's good advice. And so you've been on that path. Churches are filled with people who live morally simply because they know the dangers of living immorally. And if that's you, know that your Father loves you and He is always with you and everything He has is yours. But He also wants you to grow and mature to the point where you share His heart. Heart that welcomes your children when they know how badly they've messed up. A heart that welcomes all God's children, no matter how badly they've messed up. 
A heart that loves the conforming and non-conforming children equally. And a heart that knows that welcoming messy children requires generosity and sacrifice and gladly does both. Why don't you join me now in praying that we will have the Father's heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your heart. That you, in fact, are love. And that you are perfect. And that you are perfectly wise in knowing how to parent us. I think of all the times you've answered prayers and all the times you haven't answered them the way I wanted. And honestly, I, I don't know why you do what you do. Sometimes it makes sense to me. Sometimes it doesn't. But I trust that you are good and that you have a good plan and you know exactly what we need to grow. God, I pray that you would grow our hearts, that we would love you for who you are and want to be near you and draw close to you, not because of the things you give us, but simply because of who you are. God, give us the desire to work, not just for what we can gain, but for what we can give. Grow in us the desire to be a blessing to others. God, may it bring us joy. May it drive us and be a motivation for us to welcome people. Because we just love to rejoice when new people come and meet you and are enter into the family of God. Give us a hunger for that, God. Give us your heart. Give us your wisdom, God, because you know when to go and to chase after and you know when to leave and let people learn lessons the hard way. That's so hard for us to discern. Give us your discernment in that. Give us wisdom in how to parent. And give us wisdom in how to be a light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.